Heavenly Father, as we have been singing and praising your name, certainly, Lord, you are great. And Father, your greatness even magnifies and highlights how great we aren't in and of ourselves. In you, Father, we're great as well. But Lord, apart from you, we see our own weaknesses, we see our own sins, we see those things that beset us in this world. And Father, we praise you for who you are. And as we come to your word this morning, we see that even your son, as he was here on this earth, was himself led into the wilderness for a time of testing, a time of temptation. And yet, Father, he withstood that without sin. Might we learn from that this morning? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer, and we need to hear from you today. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Temptation. The famous uh, English poet and playwright Oscar Wilde, in one of his most quotable quotes, made this statement, I can resist everything but temptation. And boy, is that not true. Temptation is something that is uh, just part of life. It's, in fact, it is so normal, we probably don't even realize it anymore. We are all faced with it every day, all the time. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 gives us that promise. No temptation has overtaken you except something common to mankind. And God is faithful, so he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you will be able to bear it. I, I want to share that one more time to let it sink in and maybe a little more of a contemporary version, a paraphrase. He says it this way, no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. You're not facing something new or unique. Everybody goes through these. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help see you through it. There is no way, guys, to avoid being tempted. In fact, you probably experienced temptations already today. The alarm went off this morning. I know, I, got, I, don't, I don't know about you, I got an extra hour of sleep. The alarm went off, and I'm still laying there saying, do I want to get up or not? This feels really good right now, and once I get up, all, all that good feeling is, is over with. I, I, maybe you're having temptation right now. Is this guy going to be any good? Maybe I could pretend to need to go to the restroom and get out of here. Maybe you're being tempted that way this morning. We had our, our harvest festival last week, and we saw a good example. I didn't personally see it, but uh, one of the things that happened was uh, somebody stole something. So one of the members of the neighborhood came in, and they, they stole something, a backpack, and we actually have it all on tape. We can watch the whole thing, and we got their license plate number and all of that. But it's interesting to look at the, and if you're watching us this morning, uh, I'm not telling who you are, but <laughs> we don't know who she was, but, but there was this backpack, and, and I didn't see the tape, but I had it described to me, and boy, is this ever a picture of what temptation looks like. It's said that she kind of walked past and saw it, and then she went over and did some things and then and looked back at it again, and then did some other things and looked at it again, and then kind of walked out there and looked around, like, you know, nobody's looking at me. And finally, she picked it up and, and took it away. That's temptation, right? And we're all faced with it all of the time. I read a story uh, this week, and it talked about a couple of skylarks, a couple of birds, uh, a father and a son skylark. 
And it turns out that the sun skylark made a deal with a fisherman. The fisherman says, if you give me a feather, I'll give you two worms. And the kid thought, well, that's a pretty good deal because worms are hard to get. Otherwise, he's just going to give them to me. So he plucks a feather and he gives it to the fisherman and the fisherman gives him two worms. And it became a habit. It became a temptation, you know, a, a, a feather for two worms. At one point, his dad and the son are flying around, and the dad says, you know, son, isn't it great to be a skylark? We can, we can fly up to the heavens of all the, the birds, of all the animals in God's kingdom. We are closest to God. And the son wasn't paying much attention, like some sons do, like I did to my dad. <laughs> no, he's looking down at the fisherman down there and thinking, okay, I got some worms coming, and he goes down. Well, this continued until finally, of course, one day when there was going to be this, this big migration and the, the, the skylarks were going to fly south, well, this skylark wasn't able to do it because he had traded all of his feathers for worms. And guys, that's what temptation can do for us. It can cause us to trade what we have, which is so good, for, for worms. And I wonder this morning if that might be you. That's what we're going to see in the book of Matthew. Jesus is, is going to show us this morning the way through temptation. As we continue in this study, I've entitled His Kingdom Come. If you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to pick it up at the beginning of the chapter as we go passage by passage, verse by verse, through the gospel of Matthew. And I encourage you to take notes this morning. We have note sheets at the door. If you didn't get one, uh, just put your hand up and one of our ushers will get you a note sheet. Uh, and on the back of that are a series of questions I've written for our life groups this week. Feel free to use those as your own debrief for the sermon this morning. If you're online with us, welcome. Well, we are glad to have you with us. And everything I've just talked about, the notes and the questions, they're all available for you on our church app. So be sure to download that. This morning, Matthew is going to answer three questions about temptation. And here's the first one. When is it that we face temptation? When do we face temptation? So far in Matthew, we have seen, of course, the birth of Jesus, the Christmas story, which we're going to come back to in just a couple of weeks. And that included the wise men and the flight to Egypt and the slaughter of the innocents as all of that transpired. We've seen this in just the first three chapters. And then Jesus came back, Jesus and his family, Joseph and Mary, came back to Nazareth. And then beginning in chapter 3, we saw a, about a 30-year skip, and suddenly we have the adult Jesus. And he comes, as we saw last week, to be baptized by John in the Jordan River. Here, this carpenter from Nazareth is now beginning an entirely new chapter in his life. And boy, does it ever begin in a spectacular fashion. I've been to a lot of baptisms. I've baptized quite a few people myself, but nothing like this ever happened. I'm still waiting for the day. If you go back a couple of verses to verse 16 in chapter 3, look at this. After Jesus was baptized, he came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and settling on him, and behold, a voice from the heavens said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. I don't know about you, but it don't get better than that in terms of being baptized. God himself is proclaiming that Jesus is my beloved Son, and not only is he God's Son, God says, I am well pleased with him. And he does it 
in front of everybody. Everybody is hearing this. I, I think it reminds me of my favorite time, bar none, in, in weddings. You know, I, I love doing weddings, and my favorite portion of the service is when at the very end, I get to say, ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to be the first person ever to, welcome, to introduce you to Mr. and Mrs. McGillicuddy, or you know, whatever there. You know, and, and what happens never fails when you say that, the entire crowd erupts. You know, it, it's, it's a thunderous applause at that point. And I see a similar thing here. After this huge emotional high in Jesus' life, what happens next? I mean, I would think that you'd want to capitalize on this. You'd want to go out and, you know, he's, he's riding a high emotional wave and people are listening to him. People are, are excited about him. Let's go out and start preaching. Let's go to the temple. Let's do some of that stuff. And yet, what do we see happening? Look at verse 1. Then, which means immediately right now, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. <laughs> You notice here that the Spirit of God didn't tempt Jesus because God doesn't do that. He led Jesus in order to be tempted. And by the way, just so you know, that word tempted can also be translated tested. Okay, tempting and testing are, are the same word. But, but again, Scripture is clear that God doesn't test us or tempt us. He does test us. James 1, 13 says this, No one is to say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted, catch this, when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it has run its course, brings forth death. We saw this last summer when we were in the book of James. And, and the, if you read this in the original, you pick up the idea that there's sort of a, a fishing metaphor going here. He's, the, the devil is like the fisherman that's holding out the bait. You know, you don't make that fish bite the hook. You make that fish want the worm that he sees, and when he bites that worm, he gets the hook in the bargain. But he tempts him, he entices him, as Scripture says. And that's what the Satan is doing with us. When we say, the devil made me do it, that ain't true, okay? The devil doesn't make us do it. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, the devil doesn't really need to make me do it. I've got plenty of, of sin in my own life. I've got, I am perfectly capable of doing it without the devil's help. As we see here, temptation can come after about the biggest high you could probably get. God proclaiming you, you know, his son. God proclaiming you well, that, that he's well pleased with you. What, uh, what more of an emotional high could you get? And yet right after that, Jesus is now experiencing temptation. And we do those kinds of things as well. We have those highs. I think sometimes in the really good times, that's when you kind of let your guard down. When I have a particularly good Sunday and I've had some, some, some awesome things happening, I see people come to Christ or I've, I've been able to share my faith with somebody, inevitably, and I actually plan for it now, inevitably afterwards there's going to be a little bit of a letdown. There's going to be a, you know, may, maybe regular life can't compare, I don't know. But the idea is that when those things happen, we need to be prepared for them and recognize that those highs are not going to last. I've been uh, eating better and, and exercising, and so, you know, I've, I've seen the scale coming down, and it, it almost never fails when the scale comes down and I say, wow, that's, that's exciting. What do you think I am now tempted to do? 
Yeah, you've all done it. I can tell. Everybody had the right answer. Yeah, I deserve chocolate cake for this. <laughs> all right. So temptations can come when things are really good. But also the opposite is true. In fact, the opposite is what we would expect. Temptation also comes when we are weak, and we see this as well. Look at verse 2. And after Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. No, duh. And look at verse 3. And the tempter came. He sees an opportunity here. He knows when a good time to come is, is there. And so Jesus had this huge high in his life, followed by this pretty big low, at least physically. And, and, and I kind of know what this is like, too. I've actually fasted for an extended period of time. I, I forget exactly how long. It might have been 40 days. But I can tell you this. For the first few days, you are extremely hungry. And then after maybe three, five or so days, the hunger goes away. And there's actually kind of a euphoric feeling at that point. And you can go on and on. You feel like you could go on like this forever, but you can't. <laughs> because at some point, and actually scientists, no, no surprise, tell us that this comes at about the 40th day of an extended stat, uh, a fast. And it says at that point, hunger comes in very uh, dramatically. You have to eat. And in fact, you do have to eat because at that point, your body is now telling you you're going to die if you don't eat now because you are literally starving at this point. Well, that's where Jesus is. And so here is the, here is the tempter showing up during a time when Jesus is hungry and needing to eat. And that prompts us the next question. So what does temptation look like? We're going to see this morning that Jesus here faced every possible temptation in terms of categories. We know that Jesus went through this because speaking of Jesus, the uh, writer of Hebrews had this to say in Hebrews 4.15, we don't have a high priest, that's Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as just as we are and yet without sin. So what are these possible temptations? What are the all things that he's talking about? Remember, we saw already that we are tempted when what? When we are carried away by our own lusts. So what are these lusts? Well, we go to 1 John to see that. He says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and here they are, one, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. These are not from the Father. These are from the world. And that's what Satan is going to do here. We're going to see every one of these in play. The first temptation from the devil could, is the lust of the flesh. And of course, after a 40-day fast, Jesus is hungry. In fact, he's probably very hungry. So this first temptation makes total sense. Look at verse 3. And the tempter came and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And by the way, just as an aside, that if you are the Son of God, that actually could be in the context here, that is, since you are the Son of God. There's no question, the devil knows who Jesus is, okay? So that it's, it's since you're God's Son, go ahead, make these stones into bread. Now, I've actually heard people think, you know, well, well, so what's so wrong here? After all, Jesus is the Son of God. That's a true statement. Forty days ago, God himself even declared that. And if he's hungry, so why not make these stones into bread? Well, 
Satan is tempting Jesus here to violate God's plan for mankind, to use his divine power that he had set aside so that he could pay our debt for sin. It was important that Jesus not use that power. In fact, in Philippians 2.5, we have uh, one of the most important passages in all of Scripture. Write this down. Have this, write down the, the address anyway. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is what, how Jesus thought about his mission here on earth. Who, as he already existed in the form of God, he is God. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And that phrase there is no, in, in the Greek, it's kenosis, okay? This is the, 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 he, the, he got, he didn't empty himself of his godliness. He remained God, but he emptied emptied himself of his, one way to put it would be his prerogative of, of acting, uh, using his godlike power, god godly powers. And he emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And so what he's doing here is that he's become a man because God's plan required that Jesus become a man. It required that he set aside his divinity. That's what the emptying himself. That's the kenosis. And, and what happens here is turning the stones into bread would have violated that. If he did so, Jesus would be satisfying his natural needs, but he would be doing so in an unnatural way. Now, Jesus' hunger is going to be satisfied, but it's not going to be satisfied by misusing the power that he has to do that. And guys, are we not also tempted in this same way? Every time we try to fill one of our needs in our lives with a substitute that doesn't really fill the need after all. I mean, I want love, and so I will give sex to that person. Or I am, I'm kind of an inhibited person, so I drink to loosen myself up. Or I'm bored. Well, we've got plenty of recreational drugs for that. Let's be honest, guys. We all have physical appetites in our lives. These appetites that oftentimes need to be satisfied. And, and, and I, I must add here, temptation itself, it's not a sin. Being tempted is a natural part of life. But what the tempter wants to do as he's dangling that thing in front of you, as James says, he wants you to fulfill those appetites or fill those appetites in ways that are not pleasing to God. And that's what would have been the case had Jesus given in and turned the stones into bread. But Satan doesn't give up that easy. If the lust of the flesh doesn't work, well then let's move over now to the boastful pride of life. Look at verse 5. Then the devil took him along into the holy city and have him, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you and on their hands, they will lift you up so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Notice that the devil knows the word of God. <laughs> the devil knows the scriptures. And in fact, you might want to write this down. He's quoting here from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. And as we're going to see in a minute, he's probably doing this because Jesus just quoted Scripture to him. We're going to come back to that in a second. He's quoting Scripture, but unfortunately, like many preachers do, he's twisting its meaning. Because if you go to Psalm 91, you see that these are, it's a passage about trusting God. God is going to be there for you. His angels are going to minister to you. And yet, what is what is uh, Satan doing here? He's turning it into a passage about testing God. 
And as we're going to see, you are not to test God, except in that one area, in the area of giving that Malachi talks about. He's tempting Jesus here to prove himself, to give evidence of who he is and who he says he is, to defend himself against his critics. Can you imagine what that would have done? That that dramatic display like that, jumping off the temple and having angels show up, and, and what that would have done to God's plan, especially right here at the beginning. Because you see, Jesus came into this world as the suffering servant for the purpose of dying. And this, had he gone through with it, would have resulted in a much different outcome. And I wonder this morning as well, how often are you tempted like this? I know I am tempted to, to prove that I am right to my wife or to prove that maybe you want to prove that you're right to your parents, to demand that people treat you the way you should be treated. That's the boastful pride of life. I joke sometimes about how I struggle with patience, but I, I need to tell you, it's not a joke, because the dirty, ugly side of a lack of patience is basically me saying and having the attitude that my schedule is more important than anything. What I want to do, when I want to do it, is more important than you, and it's more important than anything that's going on. I am, the, I am the master of this whole situation. That's the attitude behind a lack of patience. That's why patience is a fruit of the Spirit, and a lack of patience is uh, something that the devil dangles in front of us. It's the temptation, you see, to take God's plan in my life and do things my way do things in a way that make me look good, make me comfortable, and so I can refuse to turn the other cheek. I can, I can, I can decide I'm going to get my own revenge. None of this, uh, you know, I will take care of it, God. No, I'm going to take care of it myself. And that brings me to this whole idea of how I hear people oftentimes talking about coming to know Christ. And we share that, that, that track that starts out, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, let me tell you guys, he does have a wonderful plan for your life. But let me also tell you, it's a difficult plan. Life is hard, and, it, and it, it, bug, it bugs me when I hear people share Christ in such a way that, oh, you know, you come to Christ, and everything's going to be roses, and it's going to be wonderful, and bunny rabbits, and, and life is just going to be, no, it isn't going to, we have Jesus himself being tempted by the devil. You think it's going to be any better for us? More often than not, guys, it is a difficult plan. And the question is, how am I tempted to behave as I am living out that wonderful, quote-unquote, plan? And it is wonderful. I'm not, I'm not making a mockery of that. God is doing amazing things. I don't know about you, but I learned so much more through the struggles I've had in my life than I do in the good times. Those are the lessons that sink in deep and really make an impact in my life. But What's the temptation when things aren't going well? We start questioning God, don't we? Is God really doing anything here today? Does God really even care about me if he's letting this happen? I know some of you are probably going through things right now where you wonder these things. I've seen Christians who have come to the point of deciding God doesn't even exist because of what is happening. That's what the tempter is attempting to do here with Jesus. And he's, he's done it right from the beginning. I mean, you go through the, the book of Numbers, uh, and, and what do you see? The children of Israel wandering in the wilderness, and it seems like they're constantly saying, oh, you know, every time something bad happens, oh, why did we ever leave Egypt? Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the desert? It, it just was this constant refrain. 
And I look at that and I think, yeah, I'd be right there with them. I'd be probably one of the ringleaders because that's my spiritual gift, you know. So we have the lust of the flesh. <laughs> we, we have the lust of the flesh. We have the boastful pride of life. And Satan has one more up his sleeve. And we know what it is, the lust of the eyes. Look at verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a, along to a very high mountain, and he showed him with his eyes all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And I got to tell you guys, this is not some empty promise from the devil. Throughout scripture, we read that Satan is the ruler of this world, at least for right now. So he has complete authority to fulfill this promise that he's making. And so what's the temptation here for Jesus? Well, it's, I think it's pretty obvious as well. He knew the Father's plan. He knew that the cross was coming in just a few years. He knew that he was the suffering servant that Isaiah 53 speaks of, that it was by his stripes that the, all of us would be healed. It would be by his agony and his death that would be the result of our redemption. Satan's temptation for Jesus here is to achieve the kingdom without the pain of the cross. Jesus, you can have it all right now instead of waiting for what should be coming later. Look at it, Jesus. It can all be yours. Lust for it. How many of us want that kind of stuff? We want riches, don't we? We want good times. We want good things coming our way. And, and all the better if I don't even have to work for it. We want health without discipline. We love faith without works. We like blessings without obedience, joy without tears, love without sacrifice. How, how, many, how often have we wanted to worship anything but God because why? When you really get into the Christian life, you realize the truth. Worshiping God comes at a pretty high price. Look at Mark, Mark 8. He summoned the crowd. Jesus summoned the crowd together with his disciples. And he said to them, if anyone wants to come after me, just pray this prayer and it'll all be wonderful, right? He doesn't say that. If anybody wants to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross. And we're not talking about jewelry here. We're talking about death. If he were saying it today, he'd say, take up the gas chamber, take up the lethal injection, take up the hangman's noose, take it up, die, and follow me. For whoever, and he makes it pretty clear, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You see, Jesus doesn't just call us to live for him, he calls us to die for him. And I'm not talking about dying at the hands of some terrorists. I'm talking about dying to myself, dying to my desires. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's what Jesus means when he says, come after me. He's a jealous God, and he wants, only, he wants us only coming after him. We've heard all those old adages, usually at the gym, right? No pain, no gain, no guts, no glory. Well, the Bible has a few of them as well. No cross, no redemption. No blood, no forgiveness of sins. Why is that? Because the Bible tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin are death. Without Jesus Christ, without anything else in our lives, we stand accused, condemned, and dead. 
But that verse continues on that while the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've been talking about it this morning. Jesus knew what was coming. It was the cross. And why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did he die a horrible, painful death on the cross? It wasn't for his sins. He didn't sin. He died as a substitute for us. He paid the price that was due, which is death, which is blood. He paid it with his own blood on our behalf. But it's not enough just to know that. We have to accept that if it's going to have any effect in our lives. It's, it's, a gift isn't given as we come into the holiday season until that gift is opened up, opened up and made yours. We call it the ABCs as far as how to open that gift. A, admit that you need a Savior. I've never taken this step. I've never asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and, and follow him, as, be my Savior and follow him as my Lord. So A is admit your need. B is to believe that Jesus Christ is that acceptable sacrifice. Scripture says many times, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And see simply means to make a choice. Choose. Do it. Right where you are, right now. I know we could start, start up some, some verses of just as I am and spread some sawdust on the floor and you could come forward and cry a bucket of tears, but you don't have to do all that. If you want to do all that, come on up at the end of the service. The elders would love to pray with you. But I want to emphasize, I, 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 it's not the words that are the issue, it's your heart. And if that's where you're standing right now, if the, if the, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, don't put him off. That's a temptation you want to give in to when the Spirit says, you need my son. The temptation is, the, the tempter is also there saying, you don't need this. This is going to be silly. It doesn't make sense. Uh, you, you can't believe those pastors. I read a thing this morning that said, uh, a people in the world, only 23% of the people outside of the church even believe what pastors say. I'm not surprised, okay? And so, and that's the devil is quoting those kinds of things to you right now. Resist the devil, guys and he'll flee from you. We'll see that in a minute. In fact, that's where we're going to go right now. When do you face temptation? We've answered that. What does temptation look like? We've answered that. There's one more. How do we resist temptation? We're going to go back, and we're going to now see how Jesus responded to the devil, and we're going to see that there's a pattern in his behavior. First, there was the lust of the flesh. Back to verse 3. The tempter came and said, if you're the son of God, command these stones become bread. Look what Jesus does in verse 4. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Jesus' answer here is Scripture. It's Deuteronomy 8.3. Write that down. It'd be good to go back and look at the context. Because what the context of that is, is it is telling us in that passage that God allowed Israel to become hungry so that he could then feed them with manna. And what he's doing in doing that is he's teaching them that I, you can trust me to sustain you. You can trust me to care for you. Every word that comes out of the mouth of God, that is more important, Jesus is saying here, than physical food. Because it, it feeds our spirit. It benefits us eternally rather than the temporary relief of physical hunger. And that's all Satan was offering. Yeah, your, 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 your stomach will stop growling. Jesus says, the food that I have will get you into heaven eternally. 
The devil followed that with the boastful pride of life. Of course, Jesus quotes scripture, so the devil says, well, you want to quote scripture, eh? Two of us can play that game. Verse 5 again, then the devil took him along to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, his angels will, will, he'll give his angels orders concerning you, their hands will lift you up, so you'll not strike your foot against the stone. Verse 7, then Jesus says to him on this one, on the other hand... (laughs) It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And once again, write this down, Deuteronomy 6, 16. And that, the context of that passage is that the grumbling Israelites were putting God to the test in Massa, demanding that Moses produce water where there wasn't any water. And so instead of putting God to the, to, uh, to the test, It's a passage about trusting God. Finally, as we saw, the devil comes with the lust of the eyes. Verse 8, again, the devil took him along to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms and their glory, and he said, all these things I'll give you if you fall down and worship me. Verse 10, then Jesus said to him, go away, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Here it's Deuteronomy 6.13. And again, it's all about Israel's wilderness experience. Like them, Jesus was being led, has been led into the wilderness to be tested. But unlike them, Jesus withstood the test. And what was the result? Verse 11, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to serve him. And that, that was all he had. That's all the devil had. He, he has limits. He, he's not eternal. He's not omnipotent. He's not, he, he doesn't have the characteristics of God. There's a point at which he just gives up. In fact, James 4, 7 promises it. Submit, therefore, to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you have God's Holy Spirit within you, that's the power you have. If you don't, if you still haven't taken that step and asked Christ into your life, you're on your own against the devil. But those of us that know Christ... We don't have to fear the devil and, and, and his, his minions and all that, not the little yellow ones, the, 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 the demons, okay? <laughs> I, I used that this week with somebody because uh, one of the versions calls them minions. And I could see after a couple minutes, okay, they're hung up on minions. I just realized this, you know? <laughs> Banana. <laughs> really, that's where they came from, huh? They're little. <laughs> and remember, remember that verse? That say, this, is, this is funny too. I, these are the things you see in scripture when you dig a little deeper and they are priceless. Because what is the verse that Satan used uh, and misapplied to Jesus? It was Psalm 91, 11, and 12. Guess what's happening here in verse 11? It's actually being fulfilled. The angels are lifting Jesus up. But they're lifting Jesus up in God's way and in God's perfect timing. Okay, we've been through all that, and I can hear it now. I've said it myself. Well, he's Jesus. So, okay, fine. Jesus resisted temptation. What a surprise. How do we resist temptation? (laughs) Well, guys, like Jesus, as we see here, we need to know the Word of God, and and not just know it, but know how to apply it to our life, to those temptations that we deal with. And what better confirmation of that than we see right here? Jesus did. He is God. He could have used his divine power and defeated Satan right then and there, but he doesn't. And again, we know he couldn't because he had set that power aside. 
So here's Jesus, the Son of God, in whom God is well pleased, confronting the devil's attacks with what? The Bible, the Word of God. He is, and, and in doing so, he is showing us that that's, this is something you can do as well. If he'd have used his divine power, not only would it have been a, a violation of all that he's there for, it would have been, we would have been perfectly correct in saying, well, Jesus can do things that we can't do. But instead, he's an example to us. But there's a key here, and that is this. He did not just quote Scripture to the devil as if it were some spell or incantation like Harry Potter waving his wand and saying words and making things happen. He's not doing that. Look at us again. When Satan commands Jesus to turn the stones into bread, did Jesus say, man shall not live by bread alone and then turn the stones to bread? <laughs> When Satan tempted him to jump from the top of the temple, did, did Jesus say, don't put God to the test and then climb up there and jump from the top of the temple? When Satan told Jesus to bow down and worship him, did Jesus say, worship and serve God only and then bow down? No. The answer is obvious. I hope you got 100% on that little test we just did. And the thing that I'm pointing out here is Jesus did not just quote Scripture. He did what it said. He obeyed Scripture. What did James tell us last summer? James 1.22, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. What's the deception that James is talking about here? We are deceived when we think that quoting Scripture is enough. We're deceived when we think, oh, that was a zinger, boy. That really got him. That really cut to the quick. No, we have to do it. I once heard a pastor say something that has stuck with me ever since, and it's very uncomfortable for me. He said simply this, we only believe the parts of the Bible we obey. I like to say I believe the whole Bible, but does that mean I obey everything that I know? And guys, we have to accept that if I'm not obeying what I'm reading, what am I doing? I'm deceiving myself. That's what James is saying there. We're going to take a break over the next few weeks from the book of Matthew for the holidays. We're going to start a holiday series entitled uh, The Way in the Manger. Get it? Get it? <laughs> and, um, but when we come back in January... You better uh, batten down the hatches. Buckle up. Okay, get ready, because we're going to be hearing from the Sermon on the Mount. And my friends, if you want to talk conviction, uh, Jesus does not pull any punches. In fact, I heard a, uh, an account one time of a pastor preaching a sermon to his congregation, and people were upset. They say, man, you were so judgmental. You were so this, you were so, you know. And it turned out that the, the message he preached was simply a paraphrase of the Sermon on the Mount. And he directed all of his people to uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so I want to encourage you to, uh, to be ready for that. In fact, you don't even have to wait. Uh, you've got a Bible. So why don't you spend some time over these next few weeks in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I wonder this morning, though, what is your wilderness experience going to be? We've seen Jesus's. And I wonder if, like him, you and I can say that we're going to stand strong like he did in the face of opposition. 
that I'm going to stand strong on the word of God and on the power that God provides. As 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, he will then give us a way of escape so that we can bear it. Sadly, as Christians, we have this power to draw upon, but so often we don't even try. What do we do instead? (laughs) We trade our wings for worms. Amen? Let's take a couple of uh, takeaways here and then we'll be done. The first one I have is very practical. When I look at this passage and, and digest what it says, I ask myself, when should I anticipate temptation? I wish I did it more because there are times when I've given in and I should have known better. I should have known I'm going to be weak at that period of time. This is going to be hard. And I do kind of know. I know that, you know, they say that if a, if a pastor ever thinks of resigning, don't ever do it on Monday morning. Okay, because the high of Sunday usually ends up in a very low Monday. And I've, I've learned that, but I share that with young guys. You know, don't, don't ever let Mondays be the determination of whether you ought to stay here doing this. Number two, what are the, and I encourage you to ask yourself these, what are the things that tempt me? Be honest. You know, if I'm tempted by uh, the cover of Cosmopolitan magazine, I am. I make sure I don't look at the cover of Cosmopolitan magazine. If I'm in a checkout line, I, I, stay, you know, I, I stay away from things that are a temptation to me. I know people that have struggled with alcoholism, and they take routes around town that will keep them away from places where they struggle with those things. So you know, be honest with yourself. What are the things that, that really are there? And number three, how should I deal with temptation? I think it's been pretty obvious as we see with Jesus. Don't deal with it. I mean... Yeah, you're going to have a certain amount of success. I do anyway. I've, I've got a pretty strong self-will. I can make myself do things, I, but it doesn't last. Eventually, I'll get in just because it's tiring to, to hold down the, the fort all by yourself. No, we need to recognize that God has given us, as 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, he's given us his spirit, and part of the thing that the spirit does for us is it enables us to, be, to, to rise above these things that, that the tempter is putting in our way, just like we see Jesus doing. Again, any greater example of that than Jesus, the Son of God, using the power of God's Word to deal with temptation in His life. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this very practical example from Your Son, Jesus Christ, this morning. And Lord, all of us face temptation. Some of us probably right now, this very moment, uh, certainly we're not going to get out of this day before having something coming into our life that's going to tempt us to violate your standards or to go our own way or to put myself first. The, the, The list is probably endless. And Father, we thank you that you have given us your spirit And by the power of the Spirit within us, we can uh, rise above these temptations. We can be successful. We can be uh, uh, victorious over all these things that come against us. And Lord, it's easy to know that right now. I would ask, Father, that you would bring that to my memory when I am in the middle of something. When When the temptations are coming on strong, Lord, remind me at that point that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for all that results. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen.